Welcome to And Almost Starring, the show where each week we take a film and break down the casting, including who almost starred. I'm Jeff Ronan. I'm Amy Jo Jackson. And the show creators are lucky Truman didn't grow up to become a murderer. We're looking at the <laughs> Truman Show. For better or for worse, out there is a universe where it may seem bizarre, but they were almost starring. Amy Joe, how are you doing today? Oh, Jeff, I'm okay. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. But I mean, they really lucked out. Wow, you're so right. That... I mean, when once he's tearing the magazine pages Wait, yeah. out to like make, I'm going to make the perfect woman. I'm going to make that woman, Sylvia. It's true. Uh, it's like with yeah. also like how much manipulation they like put on this person's life. It is kind of amazing that he turned out so relatively normal and not yeah this could psychotic. go full-blown like the end of the david fincher movie spoilers for a movie from 1997 the game of uh michael douglas when it's like it's all a game so it's like uh, what is real anymore and mm. he's like thinks that he shoots his shot his brother because he's like is this this gun's not even real and he thinks like he killed his brother it's like this could have truman like could be the end of he, black swan you know what is real which is hilarious. I'm pre- I'm 99% positive that Jim Carrey played Black Swan in an SNL sketch at some point. Oh my god! Which is him in a black tutu going kaka. Uh, Sounds right. <laughs> Sounds correct. All I'm saying is they're lucky that he's only using magazine pages to make the perfect woman and not actual female body parts. Yes, it's true saying. that he didn't go full Ed Gein exactly. Right. He's not trapping someone in a cage uh, and being you know if in case I don't see you good afternoon, good evening, <laughs> and good night. Uh, so anyway, the truth <laughs> just leaves like a bowl of food. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> good afternoon. Yeah. Good evening, I left you cocoa from the beans from Nicaragua. I've tasted other cocos. <laughs> this is the best. Uh, so the Truman Show is <laughs> a comedy drama that came out on June fifth, nineteen ninety eight, and was directed by Peter Weir and written by Andrew Nichol. Amy Joe, what's your experience with the Truman Show? I had seen this movie a ton when it first came out. I believe I saw it in theaters, but, you know, this is one that we owned. We watched a lot. I haven't seen it in a long time. I couldn't tell you when the last time I saw it was, but this was, like so many of the films we've done, uh, one of those where I was having the experience of, like, moments before they would utter a line, it would all just come flooding mm. back to me. Like, I had forgotten a number of things as far as, like, when they happened or how things happened. But, like, yeah, as it as it was unfolding, it's though I, whatever that Nicolas Cage movie is where he sees, like, two seconds into the future, it uh, was that just... That would, of course, be next. Yes, I was... <laughs> Nicholas Cage in Next. Your uh, dream. My the dream to be Nicholas Cage. Anytime, but especially <laughs> in a, in a movie Nick as Cage good movie. as Next, which listener, it's bad. Um, yes, it, it's a real thank you next of, of a film. It's so good. I can't remember what it's called. Um, but yeah, that it, it so it was really delightful to watch because it, it feels like it's very embedded in my brain, but not fresh, you know. So it was mm, really fun to yeah. revisit. That's great. Yeah. I'd seen this a few times when I was younger. We, we never owned it. So I don't remember if it was just a, t- I don't think I, I don't think I saw this in the theater, but maybe I did because I loved Jim Carrey. This, mm. is a, this is 1998 and I was a huge, specifically the mask and liar liar, which I think I've discussed well, yeah. before in the pod, but those two, cause it wasn't dumb and dumber. And I don't, I don't think I've ever seen dumb and dumber or the Ace Ventura's from, Oh, you know what? And Batman forever. It was, oh, it was those right. Batman Forever. I was a huge right. Batman fan. So Batman Forever, Liar, Liar, and the Mask were my jam. 
but yeah, we, we watch the mask a lot at my house too. Yeah. Yes. Uh, of course. Come on. Uh, perfect film for a dumb baby to be watching <laughs> and enjoying, uh, as is liar, liar. I tried to be watching liar, liar like a year ago and I was like, Oh, I don't think I can. I think I'm just like more tierney. You gotta get out of here. Just Carrie gonna... Elwes has it going on. Stick to the bloopers and, uh, skip Stick the real to, yes. movie. <laughs> just, just furiously folding up his paper. Uh, goose or I saw one. I can't I forget which it is. And then, uh, there's, there's a great blooper reel on YouTube, listener, that you could go and uh, watch oh, if you yes. want. Which Him I and saw. Susie Kurtz, where it's like, you're tramp. And she's like, overactor. And he's like, you. <laughs> he's realizing, you got me, Swoozy. You, you got, got me, me. Swooz. You got, the Swooz got him. Uh, so this was great. I mean, and like, what a perfect turning point for Jim Carrey's career. Because mm-hmm. it's still, it's not like he went from, you know, liar, liar, and the mask right to the majestic. Right. It's like, this is still like, comedy drama uh but i think it's such a good usage of weird I, I can understand like showing up to the cinema and being like he's not talking out of his butt what is this nonsense i didn't sign up for this he said about his dad what is all this nonsense <laughs> uh but i think it's like just funny enough to like get you through but it's like a lot it, it's it, I, seeing as a kid sad. i think i thought this was a lot funnier than now when i was like i am emotional i'm tearing up yes and like i really also invested in this. same i found myself very moved and like i remembered it being moving but not in the way that you live a little life you see <laughs> things a little differently uh absolutely so spoilers ahead if you have not seen the truman show or haven't seen it in a while here's a brief ish synopsis Truman Burbank, an insurance salesman leading an idyllic life on Sea Haven Island, is actually the unsuspecting star of The Truman Show, a reality television program broadcast live around the clock worldwide, where every other member of the town, including Truman's friend Marlon, his wife Merrill, and his mother are all actors. The producers discouraged Truman from leaving Sea Haven, actually an enormous set, by instilling in him aquaphobia through the death of his tv father in a boating accident brutal yeah and by constantly broadcasting and printing messages of the dangers of traveling and the virtues of staying home which that when he goes to the travel agent was trying to book a ticket to fiji that poster i had to write it down because it made me laugh so hard this poster it's like a picture of a plane and says do you have enough insurance to protect against terrorists disease wild animals street gangs and then he sits down at the desk to wait for the woman to come out and there's another picture of a plane with a lightning bolt shooting through the wing <laughs> saying and it says this could be you oh it's so good it's like the it's a travel poster but in like the inverse yeah. yes yes it's it's the anti-travel poster mm-hmm. uh it does such a good job it's so but it doesn't overplay that of like the satire of but like the they stuff, do that they, kind of thing it's hit such a great note with like um for instance him going to the newsstand every day and yeah. just that there's always a guy standing there reading the paper with the headline you know always something to help dissuade something him like avoid him. europe like yes, whatever uh, right uh, anything anytime he starts to like get out of line or discover what's going yeah. on that his whole reality is a sham uh yes there's someone there to try to gently coerce or, him or what place. is it classics with cliff in the car like the the dj who 
the, the oh, disc Clive. jock yes. Clive, classes with Clive, classes with Clive, who's always um and Entrum's favorite TV show that is just like what it, 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 does he think it's the 1950s? It's like his favorite TV show is like a black and it feels like is this not a rerun? Because it well, goes the style after is I Love so Lucy 50s. is like some Leave It to Beaver where it's like where the I love that it's leading into the show. It's like and next a new episode of whatever like the the normals where every time you get to it's see very Aussie quality, and Right, you're 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 very very Aussie. Yeah, but I I mean that since the whole world is designed to look like that aesthetic, I bet that they're just like, why should we play? They control the television, so I bet that they're playing stuff that has an older vibe to it. Like when he when he spoilers gets out into the real world, it's gonna be an interesting like, (laughs) what? I can do what? (laughs) Technological what? Oh yeah, that's it's got to be such a culture shock. It's like what you just don't need it. That's, there's so much in this movie that I'm like, if you actually stopped to explore, there's so many avenues that get so mm. dark mm. or so depressing. Yeah, of like him trying to adjust to real life. Of like, what is this guy's life? Of like getting like a bank account, getting like do you have credit? <laughs> yeah, I don't. No, I bet he gets some assistance because One you know. Would hope. I mean, everybody adopted, knows what the happened. first person to be adopted by a company. Yeah. Like, there's some terrifying. The Hague tries to call Ed Harris at one point, and the call is dropped. It's not that was from, like, wait, what? It, I know. I think it's supposed to be like someone from the Hague, but it is rather like the Hague. No, the city, <laughs> the Hague is calling. Uh, so though married to Meryl, Truman is still hung up on Sylvia, an extra on the show who he fell for. But when she tried to warn him that his reality was fake, she was removed from the show with the explanation that she was moving to Fiji. Outside of the show, Sylvia has become part of a free Truman campaign that demands the end of the show and accuses Kristoff, the creator of the Truman show, of making his life worse. Eventually, Truman starts noticing unusual events, a spotlight falling out of the sky, a radio frequency that's Look, following his movement. How in year 30 are we suddenly getting all of these bugs? Like, I mean, I imagine there had to have been some previously, but like these are pretty, pretty egregious. There's a lot all at once, but it's really it's those two. And then it's stuff that he's seeking out. Like suddenly that's just, true. Once he upsets his routine and is like, let me run into this random building. And they're like, oh, we weren't ready for this him. Is and this elevator is like, is. yeah, yeah. But it is the light and the radio are both. But you know what? Maybe. There's been stuff before, but and he just doesn't think about it. And, and you have like you know totally. a guy paratrooping, parachuting in the background, and the guy that bursts out of a birthday present when he's a baby, right? That he just either was too young for, or they managed to be on top of. Or and then you yeah. have the guy that played his father show break somehow back into break set. back onto set. Which I get, like, there's a whole story about that of this guy who's, like, acting careers washed up. So he's like, I gotta break, 22 years later, I gotta break back onto the Truman Show. Mm. Uh, yeah, but it is a lot. But I think the movie moves, this movie moves so quickly. It's true. So it, quickly. it helps you to not dwell on these things. But also, like, a set that big, like, there's, and so many people that it takes to run that show every day, there's bound to be ways to sneak onto the, you know, like, it, no matter how tight the security is, particularly in the 90s, you know, like, it... I would think that it'd be not the hardest thing, especially if you'd worked on that set to be able to sneak on somehow. I guess. But like, my thing is like, cause it's just the town. It's like of how many new people are you introducing? New characters are you introducing mm-hmm. uh, in a day-to-day basis when really it's like, you've got just, you're doing extra work for the rest of your life. And occasionally yeah. like, you know, you've got the people that are, uh, 
I'm just a Batman extra, but today, today, I'm to, going to get my SAG card. And today, I'm gonna try there's to bump a link into, at the plant. I'm going to bump into Truman and just being like, oh, sorry there. Oh, my. Did I, Did anyone ever tell you you look like Jimmy Stewart? Just like trying to like strike up a conversation and like, <laughs> hey, you know what? Why don't you uh, come? I, you know, I work at this diner here. And, you know, I've noticed, Truman, that you have never come into this diner. I think if you did, what wacky circumstances, <laughs> what wacky plot lines might come out? You should meet You should meet my granddaughter, Truman. You know, like, what? Is there, like, the version of Sweep, Sweeps Week where you're, like, having special guest stars? Is it just, like, who might just be people that Truman doesn't even know? But is he but meeting? But they're super famous. Mr. T. Mr. Oh, T comes to Sea Haven. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> The yes. Golden Girls? You have <gasps> Ma, come on. Truman's gonna help us find her way. There's a the- murder one week that JV Fletcher has to solve, but he has no idea that it's he happening. Just thinks she's a real life meddlesome, <laughs> meddlesome author. author. He's read the corpse danced at midnight. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> I would love that so much. Yeah, I think that I think it's gotta be JB Fletcher from Murder She Wrote. Clearly. Is, is top well, of the I mean, list. obviously it's Angela Lansbury, but Angela as JB Fletcher, what a crossover. Right. But it, it, because he doesn't know that it's a TV show, that 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 is really the most wild at all. That to film a TV episode of a different show, to have a crossover with the Truman Show. With the Truman show. show. But because he has no basis. Steve Urkel just starts wreaking <laughs> havoc in Truman's life for a week. He's the cousin from the family that, like, he says good morning to every day with the little girl. Oh, there you go. Like he there comes in yeah, and they're like, the Oh, this is our our cousin's. The Jaleel White is the visiting cousin. <laughs> oh my God, that would be amazing. I mean, there's so many. I'm, I mean, I'm glad they don't do. You could do so many of these things, but I'm glad that it doesn't. This oh, movie is so no. streamlined. It didn't turn into like Casper, where suddenly Rodney Dangerfield appears in the mirror, like oh one God. of the ghosts. You know, I we don't, don't remember Rodney. I don't remember that. I remember that Clint Eastwood in Casper. There's Father Guido Sarducci. There's a Dan lot. Dan Aykroyd. It's like yeah. as 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 a as Ghostbuster. Who are you gonna call? Someone else. Oh, come Sacrilege. on, Casper. What, what are we talking come about on, here? Casper. You sellouts. <laughs> so he's now suspecting. He One day he takes his wife, Meryl, by surprise by the, going on this impromptu road trip. But their way is blocked by all of these increasingly implausible. Uh, Looks like a leak um, at the plant. That's one of my so favorite lines. Like, And again, right before she said it, I was like, oh, my gosh, I forgot about this line reading. Looks like a leak at the plant. It's a leak at the it's plant. <laughs> Uh, and Meryl begins to break down from the stress as Truman begins to realize she is in on the charade where you have this great runner of her doing all these commercials, like direct, direct to camera. I've tasted other cocos. This is the best. What are you talking about? <laughs> Who are you talking to? <laughs> One evening, the production staff discovers that Truman has disappeared through a makeshift tunnel after he's pulled a Ferris Bueller with this fake, this fake dummy it's and like snoring tape cassette. Ferris Bueller meets Andy Dufresne, you know? Yes. Yes, he's burst through his uh, Raquel Welch poster. <laughs> in his basement, in and, his basement. and out to freedom. Yeah, he's, yeah he used a little rock hammer. Uh, but that's <laughs> such a great moment then when Marlon like turns to the It's like, keep it going, keep it going. He's gone. He's gone. He's like, God damn it, Marlon. You had one job to do for the rest of your life. You had one job going. for the last 20 years. Maybe more? How old is he? Anyway. I know. That's wild when it's like yeah. he started this job. You he says we've been best friends since we were seven. Playing, where, yeah, what is that? What is that? Where you're like, as a child, like, okay, so you're going to pretend to be this guy's friend? Or it's like, you, oh, you're his friend, and then they break it to him? Like, okay, he's an actor, so you got to keep, you're, you, you've been, does he know he's an actor? You've got the one little oh, yeah. girl that's like, mommy, isn't that the, isn't well, that the guy? And it's like, shut up, shut up, daughter. How much is like, 
that they actually have people who like are families that sort of like live on set, you know, like how there much be, yeah, get you, you know, we're casting call for real life families or real life, yeah. you know, couples to then have a kid. Cause that daughter is like, was she born on this set? I think that's the implication. Did you have Laura Linney as this fake, <laughs> fake, fake nurse, uh, helping to deliver oh a fake gosh. baby? I had forgotten all about <laughs> That, that scene amputation. is incredible as Truman's like comes to visit her at work and they're just like waiting with some actor like pretending to have scalpel. surgery but like for uh, an amputation scalpel. he asks for a scalpel <laughs> beautiful beautiful work beautiful it was just uh, they do a really great job of lampooning actors without it being too in jokey you know yeah. you could go so much further and part of me is sad that they don't but the moments they do is so good that you have the bus driver then having to like drive the boat at the end to try to I'm a after bus Truman. driver. And then just being like, we don't know. And and on like the, yeah, this some PA on the, the headset is just like, look, I, they don't know how to drive the boat. Like, I, I mean, they're actors. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. There's also that moment where the travel agent comes. And this is something I'd never noticed before, probably because when I watched it before, I had never been on a real set. But like when the travel agent comes in and she's like bustling in and she has a napkin like tucked into, tucked into her collar. I always thought like, oh, she'd been eating or something. It's clearly like for the for makeup. makeup. Right. She clearly was still in wardrobe and they were like, ah, oh, hey, you got to get out there. Yeah. Cause you wonder, is like, has, is she always in here or is it like, is she, are, is, are there like swings? Cause they're like, well, Truman's never there gone to be. a travel agency because we've instilled in him such a fear of travel. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, of how many of these buildings are, are there, are there buildings that are ghost sets. towns that you have just like wherever he's going? It's like, okay, hop, 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 hop. But like, oh, I've been working here the whole time like just enough populated to make it look normal if someone comes back. like the security guards who are there for oh i think they also maybe this is like a thing is they use a lot of those buildings like in say like disney mm, where like the buildings yes. do have actual purposes but they're not for the purpose right. that like truman would think they're for right. like that it, one it, building next door that's craft services but yeah. it's made up to look normal but then the natural traffic that happens in and out of like well now like you all break for lunch and blah 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 makes it look like normal business is happening yeah. There's a lot to unpack and it hurts my brain, but it's also fascinating. They apparently had so much extra material of uh, Peter. We was like doing like all this like documentary style, like interviews and all which mm-hmm. you get at the very beginning, um, which I, I ultimately like that they do. Cause part of me is like, what if this film just started from Truman's perspective and we're like in his shoes as we learn like this, his world is fake, but it's also like as an audience member, it's called The Truman Show. You've yeah. seen the commercials. You've seen the poster. The tagline is on the air, unaware. We all know this. So it kind of does help to like, yeah. you already know this. So let's start with being like a little bit of Ed Harris as Kristoff, a mm-hmm. little bit of Laura Linney as the wife, Noah uh, Emmerich as the friend. With their, but apparently they had so much that they aired at least once on TV Land, a 30-minute documentary hosted by Harry Shearer's wow. newsman character uh, of interviews with the actors about what it's like filming on The Truman Show, which I don't know if that might be on YouTube or not, but I would love to watch we should that because that's so delightful because there's so much. I would love I would love a companion piece documentary to totally. this about like the actual making of. I think would be fascinating. Uh, but continuing with the synopsis, Kristoff uh, orders the first transmission cut in the show's history while a citywide search for Truman is launched. Truman is found sailing out of Sea Haven, uh, overcoming his fear of water. Kristoff resumes the broadcast, and after an attempt to fetch Truman and return him to Sea Haven fails, he sends a man-made lightning storm to try to capsize the boat. Uh, despite being thrown overboard, Truman manages to persist, and realizing he cannot dissuade Truman any further, Kristoff finally ends the storm. And then there's that great shot of Truman's boat just, like, sailing into the end of the world. Oh, my just, gosh. Just, like, piercing the wall. It's so 
startling even when you know it's coming just because they delay like they they set up the shot in such a way that you don't see that shadow till the last second and then it's just like the way it just punctures that illusion both literally and figuratively is so great and then this whole last sequence is just almost surreal in the way that they've like shot it and they have him walk it it's just it's so stunning. beautiful it looks like a it looks like a painting it's gorgeous. Of him like he's yeah walking along this just like this very slim uh like little walkway alongside the wall and the rest is just the water what he thought was, the tank yeah that yeah, in the tank of him just walking across and finding the door and then Kristoff just speaks what, what was it that you loved because he was just like i am the oh, creator the, yes this was a, of this, a television program yeah, this line it's like millions. who are you goes i am the creator of a television show <laughs> it's like the most perfectly placed sejura i think he pauses even less than i did it's like i am the creator of a television show but it's just like so clearly <laughs> done to make you think like i am god no i made it a show right. uh, it just makes me giggle <laughs> I, I got more emmys than god uh so Kristoff tries to convince him to stay stating there's no more truth in the real world and that by staying in this artificial world he would have nothing to fear Truman considers it and then says his catchphrase, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, takes a bow and exits. The viewers, knowing indeed that it is the last time they will see him, cheer Truman on, while Sylvia, who's been sitting in front of the TV for 22 years, or how many, whatever, how many years. Like, probably like seven. He's just... He's probably like 29. It says entering the 30th year. Okay. So, so he's like 29. So let's say a decade. Yeah. Still a decade that she has been yeah. waiting for this guy. She, she's, she is like, let me put on my coat and go meet him. She's but still she's, in Hollywood. He's you know. clear, still clearly pines after her. So. I bet she's also an actor and doesn't have a lot to do sometimes. You know, she's like got her auditions but she's also had this major storyline on truman show which i imagine would like also like that'd be the kind of thing that might make you hard to cast in other situations you know i'd imagine so Mm -hmm. yeah so she's just like i'm sitting around waiting for the phone to call while i'm waiting maybe she had a brief career where they tried to make her like the new manic pixie dream girl where it's just a fat all whatever whatever whoever's hot right now in film it's like they're going to be pining after her and every time it's like oh she's disappeared to fiji Uh, so Sylvia races to greet him and defeated Kristoff's supervisors finally end the program on a shot of the open exit door and the viewers check their TV guides to see what else is on television. I do love that when, when Jim Carrey has like Truman has walked up that staircase. That's also, it's just so beautifully lit so that Mm. like you see all the, the shadows on the stairs, but they're also painted with the. Uh, the clouds and then you see from his like just over the shoulder pov the the painted little uh, what is that like little lever you can press it just says exit on it and there's mm. something about that just feels so like desperately sad like wow that like to get out of my life like it's just like there there is an exit to this world like the only way to get out is like this whole thing has been fake like i can't drive across the bridge i can't do that you know ultimately right. like i have to leave this set like it's just so blatant i don't know i thought it was such a great choice to make it like so vivid that like exit sign that he then has to press i'm sure there are just dozens of papers about the truman show as purgatory or the truman show as hell of like or it's like as like the no egg no exit and the truman show Mm. uh where this is yes of how to get out of of finally by facing your fears by talking to god your god himself Mm. uh there's a lot there apparently in the original script it was supposed to be new york city 
like a recreated New York City. Wow. And Peter Weir changed it to this idyllic town to make the movie feel less sci-fi. Because that's like, if you're going around in New sure. York, like, well, also like a, from a logistical standpoint, you're like, a TV show is going to build an entire New York City? Like, New York is expensive enough to run uh, right. when it's not a corporation trying to do it. Yeah. Like and one, he, you know? And he wanted it to feel like like an Ozzy and Harriet type show. He wanted to yeah. feel like, what what is the kind of show of this premise that would have people tuning in and to, to putting on to go to sleep to, you like know, what comforting. is like something that, it, yes, that's a comfort food of a show where it's, it is, but I'm like moment to moment, like what is going on in this show? Because I'm like there, you could have the version of this film that is like every other week. Truman's like, God, my life is just one crazy adventure after the next last week. I was framed for murder. And this week, suddenly a baby was dropped off on our front scoop. <laughs> and now my cousin Oliver is coming to town. And now here's JB Fletcher needing me to help solve a murder. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just is none of that. It just feels like the biggest, I mean, you have him, his wife leaves him, but it's like before all the events of the yeah. film, I'm like, what is, what's the biggest stress on Truman's life? Like what is actually going on in a day to episode to episode basis? It's that, it's that funny thing, right? About that. Like when you really look at it, like all our lives are so boring, but at the same time, like the, the real nitty gritty of a, person is is fascinating which i think we as actors who like have you know you try to find behavior that will like keep you rooted in reality and it's like that kind of thing if it's really deeply invested can be riveting so i wonder if it's just like watching this person who doesn't know they're being watched actually like getting to see people do real private moments is what's interesting very well and this also is like right before reality tv really exploded so it's really wild to watch it now and see how much the landscape the real world shifted. started if it was like right at the I same think time they're, like they're right now after. doing some kind of reunion right so but i don't know how many years i don't I know if it's like 20 20 second of- i didn't either but i don't know if it was like 20 or 25 years i feel like it was oh. on by the time i i know it was on by the time i went to college so I imagine it was around this time. Yeah. I feel like, like it was like, it, it might've like just started maybe. Right. Sorry, listener. If you're like, the real world started on in 1996. Listen, yeah. we don't know. So we're sorry. Cause we just don't care. But <laughs> I don't know. I'll never know. And I don't care. You heard it here first listener. We'll never know. And we'll never care. Uh, so the casting director of the Truman show was Howard Fewer. Fewer's first credits as a casting director are 1979's The Warriors and the movie adaptation of the musical Hair, and he'd go on to cast such films as Moonstruck, The Fisher King, and previous episodes, The Silence of the Lambs, and To Die For. So part of the original screenwriting deal called for Andrew Nichol to have his directing debut with this film, but Mm. Paramount executives felt that the estimated $80 million budget would be too high for him and got cold feet, so he went up he also wrote and directed Gattaca, which wound up, I think was 97. So it mm-hmm. came out the year before. Uh, and this kind of like took longer to finally get made. Uh, so Paramount wanted to go with an A-list director and paid Nickel extra money to step aside. So for a while, Brian De Palma was under negotiations huh. to direct before he left United Talent Agency in 1994. That's how long, 1984. <gasps> wow. Right. So directors who were considered after De Palma's departure included Tim Burton, Terry Gilliam, Barry Sonnenfeld, Sam Raimi, David Cronenberg, and Steven Spielberg before Peter Weir signed on in early 1995, following a recommendation from Nickel. Wow. Which I think ultimately, you know, having the guy that did Dead Poets Society. Yes, absolutely to, works. you know, Edward Scissorhands. But or I see, I, all <laughs> of these. Cain. Yes, all of these directors 
wild choices though they may seem, I see why all of them might have been considered. It would have like shifted the film obviously in different ways. But you think about Beetlejuice or Edward Scissorhands and you think about where this film wound up and there is a similar quality to it. It's just not as heightened with with this whereas as it would, it be would with, have like, been so much more heightened with with burton or, or cronenberg so David Cronenberg. that that sounds like uh, it's gonna be horrifying <laughs> but um interesting i don't know well, you know there's always a wes craven directed a uh, music of the heart with meryl streep trying to teach music to some students i believe is that film so you know directors have you know it, they got range they too. have range it's like i don't only want to do horror or whatnot you know peter jackson was like I got more in me. I yeah. got a lot of Hobbity films. Considering where his career started of like yes, Dead shocking. Alive and Meet the Feebles and the Frighteners that he did then, Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. uh, is wild and we are grateful for it. Let's move on to some of the actors who were almost cast. Some of these people may have auditioned. Some may have just been discussed by casting. This is all a little subjective. And as always, I've looked up all the actors in advance, and Amy Joe is hearing it along with you, listener, for the very first time. So let's kick it off with Truman Burbank. Amy Joe, your thoughts on Jim Carrey, and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? He's excellent. He's so good in this. I always thought he was good, but we kind of talked about this after we watched it the other night, that taking such a step back, I think I said to you, I was like, I haven't thought about Jim Carrey really in any kind of like spent any time thinking about him in a long time so like just coming to this in a way where i'm fresher as opposed to the late 90s where he was everywhere and we were watching the mask at you know this sort of thing i was able to see more clearly like really what he brought to this without it being colored by having you know seen all these other like wacky performances and it's so nuanced it's heartbreaking i think it's he does such a great job of like playing this you know, kind of goofy, affable guy. And then this like really sad human. It's just, I think, a really beautiful, very human performance. Um, and yeah, I really, I think I appreciate it more now than I did then, even though I liked it. I think I now understand the layers to it and really what Jim Carrey specifically brought to it. Um, just a lot of heart and, and depth. And, and a the- lot of more depth yeah. than you would think. And I think it helps there is like the scene early on where I forgot how early it was. They show like the flashback to his dad, suppose his TV dad, his fake dad, supposedly right. dying in the sailboat. And then they just cut to Jim Carrey, just like contemplative, just thinking about it. And of like that, that is such a great trick to also add so much when you're like, he doesn't have to act this scene of True. losing his dad. He just has to like, look a little sad and be thinking about something sad and you cut to this and you're and it you already you feel so much more i feel feel the weight you feel the weight he gains so much free will from that not to say he doesn't bring it because i do think like all of him like on the sailboat at the end is like really beautiful and really moving like when we get his real inner life until about halfway through where he really starts to like kind of freak out a little bit but we're seeing like him in the basement looking at photographs of his dad looking at the lauren sylvia sweater and the but you know seeing all of his work with these things and seeing like the weight of the significance in his eyes, we then find out what the significance is, but we understand that they're important before that because of the work that he's doing. And it's, I don't know. I found it really, 
really lovely. Oh, agreed. Apparently, when Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert reviewed the film, they not only gave the film two thumbs up, but they gave an on-air apology to Jim Carrey for saying that he would never have a career when they panned Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Well, they Which were wrong. I Yes, but I understand seeing, you know, yeah. Roger Ebert, Gene Siskel, seeing Ace Ventura to be like, this is so broad and so stupid and like this guy's never gonna if mm-hmm. this is all he's gonna do which if it was if that's all he did i think we would think about jim carrey differently but because we've got this because we have man on the moon mm-hmm. uh, to a lesser extent the majestic but like that he i think that he really he's the few times that he's kind of gone for a more dramatic film uh i think he's like crushes them i think yeah. he does such beautiful work totally I don't have a ton of thoughts. I I was kind of split on this because as we've talked about with a lot of other episodes, when something really just Mm. is cast in such a way that you really feel like, well, the actor nailed it. Stop drilling your hit oil. Exactly. That it becomes like, all right, well, what do I get if I have someone else? What what is most important? What are the most important notes to bring out? And it's so funny you mentioned Dead Poets Society, which I, of course, forgot that Peter Weir did that as well. But I couldn't stop thinking about how much young Jim Carrey also looks like Robert Sean Leonard. And I was like, oh. Robert Sean Leonard would also have been really lovely in this. You know, I could see that. that yeah. hopefulness and that, you know, he obviously, you know, plays a lot of like, certainly on stage. I, I can't speak to his more recent film appearances, but on stage he plays like Edmund in Long Day's Journey and Tonight and like a lot of kind of... Uh, poetic darker to well like what he does in dead poet society mm. but i think that he also has that lightness that would be really nice and he this. has that look of you want that old timey yeah look and you want the guy to succeed that's yeah. the thing is you have to be able to root an for earnestness Truman. this like yeah. innate like ability he's the guy yeah the guy greeting his neighbors like good morning and yeah. i don't see you good afternoon good evening and good night. someone like, very ah, non-threatening ah, ah. very yeah. affable now my contemporary thought and i got really excited about this uh was william jackson harper oh so yeah. affable yeah. and then someone who like can see because uh, he's also like someone who you know we've seen go like uh, on the good place for instance like really to like an unhinged place but he's also someone who is once he an faced, actor of yeah. such depth <laughs> that he would be able to do it in a very nuanced yes. way you he, know? he can be so moving uh and it's Ugh. so funny but yes when you when he's confronted by like you know the time the time knife and the jeremy bear me uh-huh. it's like the dot in the eye is sometimes tuesdays or whatever it is and he's just like the dot on the eye that's what broke me uh <laughs> of like what's what's confronted he's someone who's still it's still funny when he's confronted with his entire reality being a a lie Mm -hmm. uh, is important. I, the closest to me in terms of Carrie of taking like a comedian and then you kind of are seeing whatever would be the decade later, the 2008 would be Steve Carell. I think of him in little miss Mm -hmm. sunshine. That's well, which I thought he did such beautiful work in Yeah, where he's still so funny, but it's still, but he's not giving the, I mean, we know Steve Carell, Steve Carell can do the like, Oh, hi there, neighbor type thing, yes. but can have that depth. I think we see by this point. Uh, it'd be different because he's not coming into it the same way that Jim Carrey is. But give me Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Is he Truman. did occur to me. Yeah, for I, sure. I could so see that. Like, of course, he's like everyone's favorite neighbor. And he's just like, that is the show. The show is just this perfectly likable person who you see and you love and you just want to follow, even though nothing he's doing is that interesting. He's just a decent man. And yeah. Tom Hanks is that like the most unproblematic star we've got possibly let's hope it let's continues hope. if you're listening to this in the future and we're like oh man they didn't know that tom hanks was a secret cyborg sent back from <laughs> time to murder us all uh he got us all he got us all or if i was like if this is made more recently who i want 
because I do think that is the key is just this innate like ability yes. and earnestness and it's still funny as they are getting their world shaken up Keegan Michael Key I think yes, that also great would choice. be beautiful I think of him also like on Parks and Rec coming in to like as a uh, Retta's love interest where her whole problem with him is he's right. just he just wants to be around her and just wants to he's always just trying to help be helpful and it's just so likable that Ron Swanson sees him and is like dang it I'm supposed to hate this guy but he's just so nice mm-hmm. uh I think he'd be be any someone that i'm like we haven't really gotten like the dramatic performance from keegan michael key and i think that do having a role like this today where you're kind of a you know it's you're coming in because you think it's a comedy i'm sure i'm pretty sure the trailers showed off the comedy aspects of truman show right uh and then you're kind of you know secret agenting in like the drama and giving us like an actual real heart-filled performance right yeah which is what I'd like. So apparently in the script, Truman was supposed to be just out of high school, but once they got Jim Carrey, who was in his 30s, it got swapped to being from teenage angst to more of a midlife crisis. Well, it also makes sense because like 29, 30, like I, I'm not that woo-woo, but that is like your Saturn return is like around then. And it, you know, as people are approaching 30, it is like a big moment to be like, oh, what have I done with my life? And so for someone whose entire life is on display and is not able to do anything with his life because he can't get anywhere because he's being thwarted at every turn, but doesn't realize that, like it is actually a very smart point in time at which to put it, because that might be a time in his life when he's like, I want to do something make something of myself i feel like there are more stakes the older the person is where it's like like how how much more of his life is he gonna have to live in this fraud Mm -hmm. um whereas if he because i guess if he's if it originally was like him fresh out of high school then it would be like he'd just met laura linney he's like dating laura linney and then like it's leading up to like we're supposed to get married in like two months like that is then like the ticking clock is Mm -hmm. their marriage opposed to her being like when are we gonna have a baby which the implications of that are a nightmare it's to think dark. of. It's dark. It's extremely dark. I'll keep my fingers crossed for you. <laughs> uh, according to this, Peter Weir, Jim Carrey was Peter Weir's first choice. After seeing him in Ace Ventura Pet Detective, because Carrey's performance reminded him of Charlie Chaplin. Uh, sure. 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 I guess. Carrie said that being constantly watched by fans and paparazzi helped him relate to Truman. I'm sure, yes. And in addition to drawing on his real-life similarities with Truman, Carrie said he drew character inspiration from his father. He said, quote, my father's demeanor was Truman. He used to lean in when he would say, hello, how are you? He'd start laughing even before you told him how things were. He was just a very affable, beautiful soul. I wanted it to be a tribute to him. So there are little moments throughout the movie that are so my dad that my family would go, oh, you were doing dad, which I think also helps of why this performance is so heartfelt and so moving, which I think you can see, you see that you get that of how much this, it's not just like, oh, I'm doing a character. You can see like there's something unlike the stuff that he'd done up to this point. Cause I still think, I mean, as a comedic, like genius i think jim carrey was untouchable for a while there absolutely in the 90s. and i get that the chaplin comparison as a physical comedian it's anyone in the past few decades it is hard to touch the stuff that he was right. doing in the 90s when his body allowed him to beat himself up in the bathroom and liar liar which oh is gosh. still bananas to watch yeah. um i think uh, i think this might have been something that we listened to together but i remember some interview on some podcast where they were talking about jim carrey and his dad, when he was young, would like take him to comedy clubs so he could do like 
Aww. short sets. So it'd be like Jim Carrey and his dad oh. who would literally drive him around. Was, that's so sweet <laughs> thinking about him like basing this on his father as like a tribute too, because it's like he it sounds like if I'm remembering correctly that his dad was such a big part of yeah. his career even happening. And Carrey won the Golden Globe, which I didn't realize it was for best actor in a drama. I didn't realize that they'd quantified it. This film as a drama, which it feels like the kind of film that it's so easy to be like, it's a comedy. It's funny so enough. He'll win the comedy act. Like, like, like the, the way the Martian is best comedy, you know, mm. that, uh, bananas as they decided that to be. Uh, but this is for drama. He won the golden globe for best drama. And let me be clear, listener, the golden globes are meaningless as are the Oscars as are all awards. And yet, I'm still fascinated by them. Well, they help you they do. ask for more money. They do. Uh, and get better roles. And yeah, sometimes be also, taken more seriously. Yes, for by sure. the film, you know, the studio system. Awards whatnot. are a tool. They are. They sure are. Well, many times given out by tools. Um, hey, oh, but, but, um, uh, but yeah, wasn't nominated for the Oscar, which I looked in that year. It was Nick Nolte for Affliction, Ian McKellen for Gods and Monsters, Ed Norton for American History X, Tom Hanks for Saving Private Ryan, and the winner. Roberto Benini for Life is Beautiful. Fascinating. Because you were saying some of those. I was like, oh, right. Didn't so-and-so win? No, but uh, Roberto, Roberto Benini. Benini. In that classic, I'm going to stand on these chairs. I, run I, up this stage. I won't. <laughs> I won't tell this whole story, but there is one of my favorite stories is Nick Nolte said uh, like in, a, in an interview that the best time he had at an award show was when he was up for the Oscar for that. Because it was him, Ian McKellen, and Norton kept running into each other at all of these the award shows preceding mm-hmm. the Oscars. And according – this is an apocryphal story. So according to Nick Nolte, Ian McKellen was like, I don't care if I win it or if you win it or if the, the kid wins it, but if that – Italian bastard wins it like I'm <laughs> gonna throw a shit fit and so like after the you know after the Oscars are announced as Roberto Benigni and Nick Nolte's like and then Roberto's you know he's climbing on the chairs I look over and Ian's gone and Ed is gone so he goes to the bar and they're both there like drinking so it and <laughs> and they're just like just ripping each other Ian McKellen is like well I don't know why you thought you'd win Nick you only play yourself and Nick Nolte's like ah when you're playing a gay guy isn't that the pot calling the kettle black and then Ed, and they're like Ed Norton what you thought you were gonna win an Oscar for shaving your head and putting tattoos on so they just got sloshed just ripping on Roberto Benigni because they were mad that he won uh, which what to be a fly on the wall of Nick Nolte Ian McKellen and Ed Norton what a weird trial. what what a time <laughs> to be alive but that was Nick Nolte's favorite award show experience hey. was just getting drunk with Ian McKellen and Ed Norton and being pissed sounds at more Benigni. interesting than a lot of uh possible uh trios you know yeah tom hanks was like i'll, I'll see you guys later this is why I'm tom gonna, hanks is truman because it's just like oh no no i'm not going to be drinking and i'm going to play by the rules Benigni. rita right, and i are right. going to sit down and make you know make nice and smile so they can keep cutting back to us exactly right you're cutting back to the chair to be like oh yeah everyone else is long gone everyone else is getting slashed uh but let's go on to the other actors who were considered for truman and right off the bat Robin Williams was considered. Oh, it's so funny because when you mentioned the whole like paparazzi thing, it just made me think of Robin Williams and that like story that um Charlie Corsmo tells about like when he like was on set with him and Hook and he and his mom like on a lunch break went to McDonald's and came back and Robin Williams was like, Oh, did you go to that McDonald's and get that yourself? He's like, Yeah, he's like, tell me all about it. Because oh. he's like he hadn't been able to go to a like a, somewhere like a McDonald's in so long because he just get That's so wild mobbed. And like yeah. it, it just like this nine year old. He's gotta go like, dressed as Mrs. Doubtfire. Then he's gotta that's go in his Mrs. Doubtfire disguises. Way. That's the only way. Serious hours in the makeup chair and prosthetics. But <laughs> <Ooh>. um <laughs> 
<laughs> Hello. But that's that's his greeting instead of the Truman thing. Right. Because um, it was funny because to me, when you were like Dead Poet Society, I was like, I thought you were going to say Robin Williams. Oh, that's Williams. so funny. Well, then it, beca- then it definitely because he's older than Jim Carrey, too. Oh, oh yes. Much. So then it becomes absolutely a, the real like a midlife, midlife crisis. crisis. Yeah. yeah. Which I think does have more more to it of having an older an older person can, having you to just like have to deal shift. with these things in this film. sure you just shift the script but it becomes about different things you know because True. your fixations and and what your disappointments are i think shift as you age um and and based on like what has been thwarted and how long it feels like how many of the regrets have built up and how many of those do you mm. blame yourself on versus you know, I, I can't because my wife like is being a real stick in the mud or like, oh, I just never tried. Like how how long until you, yeah. you like Truman starts to really try in year 30? That, you know? I mean, that is very different to being like, right, that Sylvia had that all this happened, like whatever, a few months ago or year, or a few years like seven to over seven or eight years a decade ago? opposed yeah. to a decade is very is very different for sure um i, I like the idea of rob williams in I like this it too. I, He's I, excellent. Think, I mean i think that him and jim carrey can kind of get lopped in together in some ways of being like such improvisatory comedians who are With more, a lot of more known energy. as their comedian as for their comedic work than for their dramatic work I would say. Yeah. Um, but are both very celebrated for their dramatic work when it comes up. Because mm-hmm. Ron Williams, he was coming off, he'd won the Oscar the year before, I believe, for Goodwill Hunting. So he won that it. was the in year before? I believe it was 97. Well, Is he 97 or 96? I can't keep track of time. So he, <laughs> he, I am here to keep track of time for you. So <laughs> Ron Williams was, just won the Oscar. And in 98, instead of doing the Truman Show, he had What Dreams May Come and Patch Adams. Um, but I, I like the idea of him, but I, I, I like Jim, Car- mm-hmm. Jim Carrey so goodness. So it's hard to imagine this. Uh, and the only other person, so this is a little, I'm not sure if this person was actually considered. I've seen that when Andrew Nichol was going to direct, supposedly he wanted Gary Oldman. Oh, we're very different, but it's also like, there's nothing in the film that says, you know, you need I feel that's the thing. I think the film could very easily just be more of a straight like drama for sure, mild fantasy sci-fi film with the trappings. I think a lot of the comedy does come from Carrie and Peter Weir just from like, apparently it was like draft after draft from Andrew Nichol that Peter Weir wanted to like soften the edges to be like, what is it? What's the actual show that people would tune in for? And they'd want something gentle. They want something like old timey. Uh, Cause there is the version of this that is like, you could ease so easily edit this, a trailer of this to be a horror film. Well, yeah, it is horrifying. The number of things that watching it now that really distressed me, you know, it was like hit after hit after hit. I'm like, oh, ah, eat, you know, yeah. and um, yeah, I could see that if you're naming it after your titular character, the actor that you cast as that titular character when you're making a film and not like a stage show where that's going to shift production to production anyway, you're going to sculpt it around who you have. So it makes sense to be like, how do we use jim carrey's like comedic prowess to our advantage without leaning on it too hard and what he's bringing to it like the whole him at the mirror pretending he's a spaceman with the soap all that was improvised he also did a version where he like gave himself like pigtails where he was like a little pippy longstocking little (laughs) little dress uh but all that's him so you're like a lot of those moments where you're like you got the satire is probably already there in the script of the commercials to camera so you have and like you know they can't do the drive the boat they're actors um but of what he's bringing to it i feel like a lot of it is from him opposed to from the script sure which he might just be which also you know he's your straight man to like the craziness around mm-hmm. him yeah he really only gets 
goofy when he is by himself or when we see him do that face where he's laughing where he like leans this like good afternoon good evening good night and like leans and we see him like use that bendy body and kind of do that like goofy face that's like the only time where we're really seeing that is when he's like clearly trying so hard to be quote unquote normal or it's used pointedly like him in the carthor Linny, where he's like i'm being spontaneous where it's like he's doing the wacky carry shenanigans but it's when the person next to him feels like they might they're being threatened yes yes (laughs) um so i'd seen that when andrew dick was going to direct he wanted gary oldman but i've also seen that scott rudin called in a favor to gary oldman to film a sequence as Truman, I guess just as a way to be like, see, like a test, as, yeah. a, as more of like a sizzle reel, like a test. So in this, it was a sequence where Truman, suspecting that he's being watched by actors posing as strangers, takes a baby from a woman's carriage and threatens to drop the baby unless the woman admits that she knows his name. So the woman grows hysterical until Truman hands the baby back. And then the woman tells him, thank you, Truman, which is just like in the right. car chase when the, the guy, at the nuclear plant is just You're like, welcome, Truman. Right, and that's when Truman is just like, it's true. Uh, right. <laughs> Truman. Um, yeah, Wayne Knight as Truman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Very different movie. Right, but that's like, if that was a potential scene in your film where he might drop that's a baby, dark. that this film could get really tense in a way that it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think ultimately for the best, but... Uh, yeah, so I'd seen, yeah, that there was also never any real discussion of Oldman starring in the full feature and that the actor understood that the high concept idea had top billing. So who knows uh, if he was actually ever considered or not. Mm-hmm. Instead, in 1998, Gary Oldman had Lost in Space where he was playing <laughs> the villain who turns into a big spider monster. So he had that going on. Uh, Sure. Well, someone had to do it. Although if he hadn't cast, what a, what a change from doing like so many big splashy villain roles of fifth element and air force one and whatnot in Mm -hmm, the mm nineties, if he were to be in the Truman show, I mean, I don't know if, I mean, people flocked to this film because Jim Carrey was in it and he was a superstar at the time. So I don't know if you had an actor like Gary Oldman, if anyone would go to more of a Christoph, you know? That be Gary Gary today as Kristoff in that the moon sense. would be a beautiful performance. Yes, I absolutely. Think. I think would be fantastic, and I think we would be ready to receive it because he hasn't just been doing villains. Agreed. You know. You know what? Well, that's a great time to then talk. Let's talk about Kristoff, okay. shall we? So, Amy, show your thoughts on Ed Harris, and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? It's wonderful casting. I mean, I'm always a fan of Ed Harris because he's wonderful and good at acting. One thing I think is funny is he is 12 years older than Carrie. Yeah. So the idea of this like teenage wunderkind being like, we're gonna adopt this kid, see? And we're gonna we're gonna yeah. put him on television. They, they, that's what they they talked about, like having to like try to dress Jim Carrey very collegiate and try to make him look as young as possible. And then at Harris trying to age, like they, do a little age makeup on him. How do we accentuate every <laughs> you know line, every wrinkle? Um, it's just I mean it, it sells it. You're like this might have been pretty young, but I kind of buy it. Like I think about if if anyone out there is familiar with the up series which is this series of films that was started in like i think like 65 66 where they took a bunch of british kids at age seven and filmed interviewed them all and then filmed them again every seven years and are still doing it um now that they've been living in a dome this whole time (laughs) no um but the ad on the on the first one on seven up um then took over for 14 up because it was just supposed to be like a little 30 minute like isn't this interesting 
kind of spot. And then it was his idea, I think, to keep going, keep checking in. So he was very young. I think he was like a like in college or just out of college when he was the AD wow. on Seven Up. But then he's been directing it the whole time. So he's much older than the kids in the first couple. But then eventually, the most recent now one it's like, came out like a year or two ago. Yeah, it's like fifty something up. Like yeah, it's they're, bananas. They're like now probably about like sixty two. Now it's these wild. people, I think one of them has passed away from cancer. But it's you know it's it's really wild. But I was thinking of that. I was like, this would have been someone who started this very young. This was like this brainchild of his, and he just struck it really lucky, really early. Um, but I don't think twelve is reasonable. <laughs> but um, but I think he's he's really uh, great. New, but yeah, he does such a good job because it it would be so easy to like make this guy seem really unreasonable. Like I think we have to still like we can't hate him even until until like you're just like what are you doing man like we have to still understand him even if we're like this guy where does he get off you know what i mean well he really you know where this is his entire life totally and and it's not just like no my creation but it is just like i mean those two scenes where he's like watching truman sleep and mm-hmm. he strokes the screen and then at the end when it's like he's just talking to truman for the first through the moon, time <laughs> And looking at the screen of him and he gently caresses on Truman's hair on the screen that there's such a fascinating like father figure yeah. that they just don't get into. They don't have the time for it. We don't need it. But like we you don't, get, yeah, I mean, we get you it, get it's it like, from those moments. This is how what, the, what yeah. Truman means to this guy. Right. Let alone just the Truman show, what Truman means to him. So it it, it doesn't feel like some faceless corporation, like you get this person. I think he just does such a good job of infusing humanity into this person that could be very easy to be like a mustache twirling villain, Agreed. you know? And it, it's, he's so gentle with it too. I think that that's part of it is it's a very, yeah, not, not an easy performance because he's clearly a very intense guy, but he's not intense in the right. delivery. It's great that you have Ed Harris because Ed Harris has so much stage experience, so much experience in the theater. Cause that's mm-hmm. like, you see the very, little bit of him at the beginning where he's being interviewed, but they don't bring him back until halfway through the movie when they, they reintroduce Truman's like TV father as if like he has amnesia, which is that great back and forth of Ed Harris and Harry Shearer's like, uh, how do you tend to character. explain the 22 year amnesia? Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> is it? <laughs> but that scene, it's like, there's a great, you can find on YouTube if it's still up a great from the, uh, whatever the Oscars were, where Cuba Gooding Jr. won for Jerry Maguire. You see the guy directing where he's just like, okay, set camera two, camera two, like camera one, oh, camera yeah, one. Oh yeah, that's so great. Like, of how exciting it is of, uh, watching him in the control room of that scene of Ed Harris, like, and Paul Giamatti, little baby PG oh, being like, oh, go to the close up. It's like, no, no, pull back, pull back. And now this is the music. Bring, like, bring the music up. Bring the music up. Da, da, da. And come in. And come in. And it is like so, so wonderfully theatrical in a way that I wouldn't have thought of. I never would have thought of Ed Harris for this, but I think it's such a perfect, perfect, I perfect fit. Yeah. I have some thoughts. Um, Funnily enough, I thought like, oh, actually, Ian McKellen would be really interesting in this oh, role. Absolutely. Like he's masterful. Yeah. And I would buy him as this like auteur. This is a very different choice, but I think I'm mainly getting it from like the voice thinking like, who, who would I buy as this like kind of voice of this godlike character? It's like James Earl Jones. Oh, and he has such a fatherly like thing, but also like the guy has played Darth Vader. I'm also thinking of like the great white hope, just like he's, he's got such range that I feel like it'd be so interesting to see him like run through this it role be, and at the end is like i am the creator and then and then all the stars transform into mufasa <laughs> <laughs> 
even though it's the daytime, because he's got that kind of power. Well, okay, he, he, he suddenly made the sun That's come up. That's what I'm saying. And now he can make the sun go right back away. Um, I also thought, I mean, he was sadly no longer alive at this time, but like Raul Julia Ooh. would be yeah. really beautiful. Like I really yeah. see like the passion and like I would get that same kind of intensity. Someone else with a lot of stage, a lot experience, of stage experience who you of... would just also believe commands a room in that way. And then this is a very different choice. But I'm, I feel like I recommend this actor all the time, just for like anything that's slightly weird. Tilda Swinton. Uh, yeah, uh, of course. Uh, of course. I could all, Tilda Swinton, we'll get to her, but as the wife, as Meryl, I think would be a very interesting. Tilda could interesting do pick. it all. Tilda could do it all. I, similar, in a similar vein to Ian McKellen, if you just want like that British, there's a certain uh, stentorianism or whatever that you can, mm-hmm. you can bring. Give me Anthony Hopkins. Cause I think you're also, sure. you want like just the little layer of like this person's up to no good. Like Ed Harris has played his fair share of heavies of his fair oh, yeah. share of like antagonists. Um, so to have when you're already, you know, he doesn't have to play that because he already brings that to the film. Like Gary Oldman would. Exactly. Well, Gary Oldman as yes, Christoph. Absolutely. But Anthony Hopkins, I, I think, you, yes, you, you're getting like as the artist, I think around 98, who's playing Picasso. So it's like that. And, uh-huh. and Ed Harris They're playing Pollock Jackson a few Pollock. years later. It's like, which also helps. We need actors who played painters, famous painters. Really intense painters. Alfred Molina played Rothko hey. on the American stage and the British stage. Uh, or give me a Frank Langella, I think would be really great. For sure. You know, I once saw Andy Serkis in a thing about um, Van Gogh, you know, like there you go we got them all all the painter actor peoples <laughs> um i think a morgan freeman imagine I you're did about think to of walk morgan out freeman. the door and then i mean he would be god and bruce almighty but then morgan That's freeman right. just speaking i am the creator uh or you know it's very interesting because this becomes like this father figure character but why not a mother figure why not a judy dench as this chris chris yeah tough it, it could be the last name or it's it just a single name. name it's very Christoph. true or I was like, if you want to add not meta-ness to it, but getting an actor who's also a director, get me Robert Redford. I think that would oh, be, yeah. I think that'd be a really Ooh. beautiful like performance. And like, I think having someone who's also a director or like yeah. a Sidney Pollack, I think would be really interesting because yes, he's acted in yes. enough things or which I think would be, you know, it, it would completely up in the film. But if you want uh, an actor, also director, Werner Herzog. <laughs> <laughs> i am, I am, creator. I am a creator but show. that's somewhat like the, the rationale and arguments that he the christoph makes it the would film make about sense like, only i can give truman the life he deserves outside of my world is just suffering truman that is nothing but hell and brimstone out there so what you do is you get christoph waltz to play this role yeah. as werner herzog christoph, right i mean i love werner herzog when he pops up as an actor i mean he's so good on the mandalorian when he was in those that first <laughs> season but it, christoph waltz is kind of the like if werner herzog was like actually like a real real good actor yeah. it'd be christoph i waltz. wonder <laughs> if this character is actually like slightly based on like werner herzog and by having someone who is absolutely not like werner herzog play it then you ha- you kind of get that without having to lean too I heavily mean, that on is it that such a herzog move it's like absolutely to film is. right to film Fitzcarraldo I'm gonna just drag a ship across the mountains which is about a guy dragging a ship across the mountains so to mm-hmm. film this mm-hmm. oh yeah I'll just build a giant studio it's also uh, you know if it was I mean he's passed away unfortunately but uh if we got an older version of Philip Seymour Hoffman because in the Kaufman film Synecdoche New York he builds a big giant yes yes warehouse to make New York inside it 
because he doesn't know how to make anything smaller. He just keeps expanding bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. Uh, so I could see, I could oh, see that. He'd win great. DCH, I think will be, uh, will be great. Uh, so Ed Harris won the Golden Globe for supporting actor, but lost the Oscar. He was nominated on Jim Carrey, but he lost the Oscar to James Coburn for Affliction, who is real good. I, I mentioned it before. I saw the movie for the first time a few months ago. Uh, huge downer, big bummer of a film. Also, though, co-starring in it, who I think would be a good Christoph, Willem Dafoe. He did occur to me. Too for young sure. in '98, but uh, Willem Dafoe now. That like, I it's think, kind I of a gimme. He's it. on the short list for sure. Kind of a gimme. Uh, so Ed Harris only had a few days to prepare for the film. And got an Oscar nomination. So good on him. That, yeah. I, mean, I think he's so good in this. And he's he excellent. had days to prepare. So at one point, Peter Weir, the director, had planned for projectionists to stop the film at one point during all screenings, cut to video shot by cameras installed in every theater of the audience, and then cut back to the movie. And to make things even more meta, he flirted with the idea of playing Christoph himself, and Scott Rudin said, new. Scott Rudin, for all of the problems I have with him, Scott made the right choice here. Uh, yes. I can't speak to Peter Weir as Christoph because he has like three acting credits on IMDb. None of them passed the 60s, I believe, maybe one in the 70s, but, uh, not not like a Sidney Pollock where it's like, oh, he's in Tootsie and whatever, yeah, yeah, Michael yeah. Clayton and I think Husbands and Wives. Like Sidney Pollock was in enough things where he's I'm like, funny. oh, he can carry. He's good. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. This isn't that. So I won't, can't really speak to that, but I can speak to what a dumb idea of having to install the, the amount of money to install cameras in every theater showing Truman Show to cut to the audience as if they're watching the Truman Show. Also, like, I, I don't. What are you I doing, think guy? we get it. We see but, but all of these you? people. Do you get it? Well, we certainly do now. <laughs> but we see all these people. We see the guy in his bathtub. We see the whole bar, like Truman's bar. We see, you know, the the ladies on the couch. Like we see all these people watching it. We get that it's meant to be us as well. That we are just as culpable. That we right. are just as guilty of all of this. Which, of course, as reality TV would explode immediately after this has shown us again and again you know it's the kind of thing that maybe felt more important to do at the time but now would feel ridiculous because it's the thing we all implicitly understand right absolutely so oh that sound means it's time to play a quick round of two truths and some guy the way it works two of the following actors were up for the role of Christoph. one was not and amy joe has to guess which is which your options are Dennis Hopper, Alan Arkin, and Jeremy Irons. Oh, Jeremy Irons is so good. I feel like you put it in to trick me. I'll be honest. I don't think I've ever seen Dennis Hopper in a movie. You've seen him in Speed with Keanu. Oh, that's Dennis Hopper. I missed the 90s. Never saw Apocalypse Now? I did see Apocalypse oh, Now. He's in the end of that, near the end. I'll tell he's you He's like what. the wartime photographer. Oh. It's like, Martin Sheen, hey, I'm going to sn- I watched that pictures. in high school, and I'll tell you what, that was a while ago oh, that I, I was under- in a high school. Because I maybe I watched it like freshman sure. year of college, but I remember watching that in my like high school sure. bedroom. Um, okay, okay. You, you, you weren't, uh, re, you know, breaking out the VHS tapes of Waterworld and Super Mario Brothers? Never saw either of them. Was never interested. Um, let me think. Who was the middle one? Alan Arkin. Ooh, a great choice. 
I think Jeremy Irons is too good, so I'm going to say it's Jeremy Irons. You're correct. As far as I can tell, Jeremy Irons is not considered, but wouldn't he be so good? He'd be so such a good casting. He's also, because I finally got around to watching uh, the Watchmen miniseries, which everyone is so good on that, but he is so good on that, and he is similar-ish of a character, Mm. but he's, like, trapped. He's on, not to give too many spoilers because a lot of the show is you're like what is happening in in, ter- in every character's life uh but he's just dealing with all of these clones where he's like their god more or less they kind of view him as their god that he's dealing with all these people that he has like just no respect for and he's bossing them around and he is the director of this world uh so it's very similar mm. very similar in many ways and i was like jeremy irons would rule in this role he's so good uh but i've seen him on stage oh in uh what oh i forgot what it was called i went and saw it at the national um my friend hannah and i rushed we got like cheap rush seats so we sat on the front row um and they'd play things in rep at the national so we saw that one night and something else the next night and basically everyone but the stars were the same in both shows and we were wearing the same like sweaters because it was cold so we're wearing different outfits but we're like we're sitting in the exact same seats two days in a row wearing what looks like the exact same outfits and we're both like pretty tall and recognizable like we're practically in the light we're like if this ensemble is like checking out the front row which like as an actor sometimes you do especially if it's like a big cast and you're staying in the back a lot we're like do they think we've just slept outside the national? You, you slept here? in those seats. You just haven't left. You haven't left. <laughs> I would not um, put it past this. We, uh, he we, was playing the prime minister in some show, uh, like an actual prime minister. And uh, oh, love actually a stage spectacular. Love actually the stage <laughs> spectacular. That's the one. And by that's the one, Jeremy I mean Irons. Po- no, right. Replacing Hugh Grant, <laughs> move, making a stage out of love actually, and replacing him with Jeremy Irons. Uh, exactly. And then Colin Firth replaced with Ben Kingsley. You replace, you get Ray Winstone instead uh, of Alan Rickman, even more of like terrifying actors. It was, it was uh, Jeremy. Irons, I think no. Anna Chancellor played you, his wife. Oh, love her. Uh, you, so you didn't see Longest Journey in Tonight? with me did i get to see that oh myself? no i did see oh, that, that i yes, did see that, that. Yes. bam with jeremy irons i've seen a lot of productions of long days it's like uh you you've you've seen at least a week's worth of long days journeys in tonight i've seen of, that one i saw david suchet and laurie metcalf do it in the west end i saw the one with philip seymour hoffman and robert sean leonard and vanessa williams and brian dennehy that one mm-hmm. that i saw in you see jessica lang I saw the Gabriel Jessica Lang and I saw one in Galway with Marie Mullen and James Cromwell. And uh, yeah, I've seen at least wow. five long days. No, I've seen six. I saw one at the Guthrie. Oh my God. I've seen that, that at might be too least many long six long days. They were all that's really long, good. That's, such a, that's a long play. The one at the Guthrie the was super short and they weren't oh, cutting what? a lot. Their pace was so fast. I was like, oh, wow. I know how long this place should be. And you are so worried about being so long. You're all like talking on top <laughs> of one another. I was like, we know it's a long play. Let it be long. Oh, man. That's great. Uh, so Jeremy Irons, not considered, but Dennis Hopper and Alan Arkin were. Dennis Hopper apparently was originally cast, and I've heard wow. this two ways. I've heard that he walked off the set after his first day, and then Ed Harris replaced him. Mm-hmm. Or Hopper stated later that he was fired after two days because Peter Weir and producer Scott Rudin had made a deal that if they did not approve of Hopper's performance, they could replace him. So I don't know I of what exactly happened. If it was just like, I, it might've been just like, whatever, Hopper been, being like, I'm kind of interested, but I don't know if I'm the right fit, so I'll do it. But if you aren't a fan, like maybe we could just be do it. So it's like, no one's gonna have yeah. to be out any money, but we'll give it a day or two. And if we're like, this isn't working out, I'm out of here. I, I don't know. That's, you know, it's always so scary as an actor. When So when I worked on Kinky Boots, like because I had never done a big show before as a dialect coach, 
I had like a deal with the producers that my first week, this is when we're doing the out of town was on a trial basis. They're like, we're going to hire you for the whole project, but we are going to give ourselves like a week basically to be like, we're going to assess it, reassess at the end of the week. And then if it doesn't work, we will like pay you the rate, this rate for the first week. And then we'll just part ways. Just because they basically didn't. And then we're going to bring in Ed Harris as the dialect coach at Broadway's Ed Harris is going to teach us how to talk like they're from Northampton Light. Um, but um, What he's best known for. What really. he's best known for, Northampton Light. But yeah, I mean, like it was the kind of thing where I didn't hear anything from them after the first week. So I was like, guess it's working. But like that, at least I knew. Yeah. I have heard stories of of people being let go. And it's just like. Sometimes it, it's so disappointing because sometimes it's not communicated to the actor what isn't working. It's like, mm, it's just not working. It's like, I, I could make some adjustments potentially if you, right. like, a lot, you know, big, big jobs that I will not talk about on air. But, like, I'm thinking of one in particular. It was, like, a big job for a couple a couple different big jobs where it's just like, what? That seems like an extreme thing because you then have to pay out the rest of their contract and all of this. So, I, you know, yeah. that's a... Or for films and you're like, ref- yeah, I mean, Eric Stoltz in Back to the Future. Yes, exactly. About uh, it's just wild to film weeks, to film like more than a month of a movie and then get replaced is Ooh. wild. So at least this is only a, like a, a day, day or, or two. two. Uh, it was wild. I think he'd be interesting, but he's someone that's even more intense, too intense. Yes. Ed I Harris want. has a lighter touch. Which I think it works really well for someone who is doing something that's really so upsetting. And maybe Dennis Hopper would have, because I really do, mainly know him from his villainous work and stuff like sure. Speed and as King Koopa and Super Mario Brothers and Apocalypse Now. So hey, maybe I just haven't seen the right, and Blue Velvet, of course, in terms of Dennis Hopper roles. Which I've not seen. Oh, you've not seen? No. Oh, I mean, that's one of the most famous, and what a terrifying gentleman he is in that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. And Alan Arkin is interesting to me. That's totally he. I mean, it's because I know him so best from Glengarry Glen Ross and mm-hmm. Little Miss Sunshine. There is such a like lovable daffiness to him or like yeah. a befuddled quality that it's like, I don't know. That's uh, to me. It's, it's too nice. It'd be like Alan Alda. It's like Alan Alda can't be yes. Christoph. It's like he's too nice. You need someone that's like the control. I, Alan Arkin isn't someone that I can think of when I'm like the, the person that commands control of this world. I guess, but like in Wait Until Dark, he's deeply upsetting. Like upsetting is different. That that's still such a heightened yeah, role. But it's still yes, uh, but not like cartoonishly. So. No, no, no. But he's also, I, I guess, in Wait Until Dark, he's not a com- he's not commanding control of the situation. It's kind of to me that's kind of one of the points of the, of the character is that the other two like criminals that they're all in this. If you've not seen Wait Until Dark, it's a very fun. I think sixties movie with Audrey Hepburn mm-hmm. uh, with all these, she was blind and all these criminals are trying to like put this con on her. Wasn't able to go into closets for years because it still hall closets still kind of freaked me out because of that movie. So, but like the other criminals are like, yeah, we're not getting bossed around by Alan Arkin. We got to turn on him. Uh, you know, but like, I, I get what you're saying. He's I, I'm still, not, I, I would he's say he's nice. He's still the big bad in that movie. 100%. Oh, he's ter- in the last like 15 minutes, which is just like a showdown <gasps> between him and Audrey Hepburn. It's terrifying. It's very, very good. Uh, but I, I don't know. It's just hard. It just, I've not seen it from Alan Arkin in the past, like three decades. I'll put it that yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah. And I've also not, you know, I'm not a, I'm not an Arkin completionist, so I'm not a miss. You're not it. an Arkin head. I've, I'm, I've, I've missed too many meetings. They revoked my <laughs> membership of, of the Arkin heads the arc heads get out of here jeff of the arcanauts yeah the arcanauts uh, they, kicked, they kicked me out they kicked me out jeffrey and the arcanauts 
Um, but Alan Arkin was in Gattaca the year before. Ah. So I, I wonder if that was just Andrew Nichol just being like, Dennis Hopper's not going to work out. Like, I got my boy Alan Arkin. What right. do you think of him? Uh, but let's move on to Lauren slash Sylvia. Amy Jo, your thoughts on Natasha McElhone. And who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? Here's the thing. I think the actress is, is doing a great job. Mainly, she just doesn't seem to have much... Uh, to do uh, she has agency like I will say it's not but but it does feel like she is there as a prop to further the plot um it'd be nice if it wasn't just her alone in a room where you get the one phone conversation with that Harris it's like, like could we see her with like a if you saw her like protesting like well, a group that of is people? exactly what I'm thinking why they clearly have a zillion extras in this movie why can't we have maybe there's a couple other people at her apartment and they're all making posters together or something you know like but yeah, we're just seeing her alone. It makes her seem kind of obsessive in a way that I don't think helps or or it doesn't feel as intentional as so much of the rest of the film I like, does. Yeah, I'd like to see the scale of this free Truman yeah. movement. Yeah, I would like to see just to, to give her more oomph, you know, um, so it doesn't that. feel like she's just waiting for Jim Carrey not Jim Carrey, that she's just waiting for Truman romantically, but that it like, absolutely it's this cause that means something to her, which clearly it does, but it's, I, I just feel like they could have been more intentional with it, yeah. which it, um, I will admit by the time I was doing my research and got to hurt my research, <laughs> my thinking about who I put in this movie, I, um, uh, I lost some steam and I was like, I feel like there'd be a lot of people who are good in this. One of the things that I think she does really well is just like, with very few lines convey an awful lot. Like it's a really great screen performance insofar as like we have to see her and basically like understand a lot through her eyes, which mercifully are huge. So, uh, you know, they convey a lot, but I think she does a really good job. I don't, I don't have any other thoughts. Cause I was just like, I don't know a lot of people. And also I would have different thoughts if they bothered to really think about this as a full person. I agree. I mean, I think it's ex doing exactly what you need for the role. Uh, I mean, this movie is like barely over 90 minutes. So it does feel like there's you could easily have 15 minutes worth more because there's five minutes more. Five minutes her, more. Well, just to flesh out. But I feel like you could five minutes for her, five minutes to like flesh out. Apparently there was, uh, which we'll get to, uh, Noah Emmerich as the friend. He did have like a moment of redemption at the end where he was supposed oh. to find Truman and let him go. Like to choose, like I'm not going to turn you in. I like, like I do feel bad that I've been betraying you as your that I do feel like your friend, and I've been betraying you. So let me do something for you, right? Which would have been a nice moment, but nice. we're also like we're at the we end. Like, we it. just want to get to the you know this big climactic yes <laughs> conversation with the creator of a television show of a television um, show. But I was like at 98, like you could do also in Gattaca. You could I could see an Uma Thurman in this, or like a mm -hmm. young Naomi Watts, or you know this is a very white film. If we wanted to. If you're kind of saying something without saying something by having an actor, an actress of color in this role who then gets written off mm -hmm. to be like, oh, no, we wanted very extremely white Laura Linney to be married yeah. to you. We, we don't want you married to him because then we're not as palatable of an Aussie and yes. show. So if you had like a very young Carrie Washington or something, I don't know. Or mm -hmm. if this was made later, like a Gina Rodriguez. Just think of people who like with the, a single look of their eyes, they just speak depth. Right. And I think that could be, I think you're saying something with that. I would still then especially want more for this character to actually be able to do. We could see a bit more of the subplot of them on the outside with the free Truman yes. movement. Yeah. Uh, but mm, that's what I'd like. So one other actor who was considered, uh, Annabella Shiora tested, uh, 
best known for Spike Lee's Jungle Fever, Hand That Rocks the Cradle. She was also in What Dreams May Come in 98 as Robin Williams' wife, who oh. uh, I believe she, if memory serves, I rented this movie because I loved Robin Williams. And I was like, I rented it when it came out. So I think I was like 11 or 12 when I oh, saw this film. No. This is too young. I, I was not ready for What Dreams May Come, which is like Robin Williams dies. And so his like wife kills herself. So she winds up in like hell or purgatory. So he's got to travel to save her soul. It's a weird, well, it's a dark real, film. Uh, Eurydice and Orpheus. Yes, but every, everything in death is like all like, as if it, as if like a painter, like out of a painting. It's like a, it's an incredibly gorgeous film, uh, but good. Especially, I, I can't imagine going back to watch a film with Robin Williams, like a Robin Williams, like in being dead. Uh, I, I don't think yeah. I can do it. <laughs> so I'm not as familiar with Annabella Shiora. Um, I'm not seeing jungle fever or hand rocks the cradle and i don't remember 12 year old jeff i don't remember what dreams may come um but she's the only one that uh was up for it i bet a lot of people were up for it and it's just no one that was like of note that we're of like note. that we're so, now yeah. now that like i am to be as much more of a thing than it was in right. 98 you know yeah and i I'm, I'm more familiar with natasha mcalone from like she was david Duchovny's wife in californication oh she's been in stuff like ronin she's she's been she's been when in this movie first came out mm -hmm. i totally thought that she was grown up sloan from ferris bueller uh oh, even though clearly that. like the age situation does not work out when i was like 13 40 whenever how old i was 98 probably like 15 i wasn't thinking about all these things but i was like oh my gosh is that sloan from ferris bueller no, uh, new. No. I mean, I could see a Matthew Broderick as Truman. I I could see that. an '80s version of this. Absolutely. Well, even like in the '90s, May, yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. did still then grow into like because Truman's not taking a day off. Truman is you know having the like the more uh, you know he is the one dreaming like I wanna be a producer. <laughs> I, like I could see that of Matthew Broderick being like that's someone who's gonna stick to a routine, which is what Truman that's is. Someone true. who the fact that he upends the routine that's what's throwing everyone else into chaos yeah um which of course jim carrey is someone that you're like of course he's gonna upend a routine can you imagine if truman was like some i mean this is clearly that the world is so carefully orchestrated but if he's someone who's just like i am perfectly content to play call of duty for 18 hours a day like what they'd be like what do we gotta do to get of this gotta to make some good television him. yeah yeah so he's it's like a big loser stone the fact kid. that they have yeah. like really carefully orchestrated this world so they can like you know prod him in different ways but it's like that they that this kid grows into someone who's like i want to explore i want to do all these things yeah and, and those impulses to, keep like being tapped yes, down Yes, you got the teacher with the, the map well oh truman it looks like everything's already been discovered oh that's too bad that's too bad oh my gosh we haven't talked about the fact that everyone's getting fed lines from like christoph and these in-ears are invisible <laughs> like legit invisible like, it's like a microchip implanted in their brains in ears now like even the ones that they're wearing in the control room are like madonna mics with like the you know yeah. it was, it's just so funny it's just like no in ears now are pretty good <laughs> but you can see them it's like how are they doing this this is a thing that they uh, don't really explain. No, you know? well, I mean, that would be a good, yeah, you just like the camera pans around and you see the tiniest, the, the teeny, yeah. tiny uh, earpiece. And I also like how the movie shot is like such a good blend of regular camera shots and then of like shots as if button cam, from, but, the button cam, the camera, the garbage can oh, cam yeah. of the neighbor that has to be carrying this garbage can camera over. Mm -hmm. uh, it That is fun. Also, like playing spot the cam.
camera as you just go about day to day and you're like, is that supposed to be a camera there in the background? Are those three cameras on that signpost? Mm-hmm. Uh, is I find very entertaining. And the camera on his ring of like when you pay yes. attention to that, with that like apparently the ring he got from his dad in the like dad's death scene. So when his dad comes back, he gives the ring back, which is why they have such trouble finding him when he goes missing at the end. Cause he doesn't have his ring camera, his camera ring anymore. Cause he gave back to the actor dad. (laughs) Dad actor. That's fascinating. Well, and also as he's cottoning on to more and more like, where there are cameras and that sort of thing you know like right. the, when they don't even notice because they're talking in the control room and he goes that one was for free yeah you know yeah. um but it's just like i wonder if it's also he's like oh becoming aware i know that where are that because he clearly has figured out where some of the cameras are by the way that he crawls through the room yeah you know so i wonder if he had you know cottoned onto there being one in the ring as well that's for the two hour director's cut sure is um but let's move on to meryl burbank slash hannah gill amy joe your thoughts on laura linney and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else this is like laura linney doing what i love laura linney doing best which is to say like the kind of like gentle this sort of thing with like an underbelly of like what yes I think it's great because I think so often Laura Linney gets underused to just be like gentle mom energy, you know, um, which is someone who has often been like asked to just do gentle mom energy, like in service of someone else. This is like a character with even though she's being like told what to do, she feels like she has much more agency because she's the one in control in the house. Like, and I don't mean like in control in the relationship. I mean, she's the one who's trying to control the environment. She is the like agent in, in yeah. that's infiltrated the house. Who can carry on under these conditions? It's, it's unprofessional. unprofessional. So good. She just, I think she's so good at playing the mask and, and, and the desperate gripping of the mask as, as things start to get scary. Oh, it's terrifying. And how she also, you know, if she were less, um, if she had less attachment to being professional and was just like, let me just talk to this person as a human and try to make it work. He, he, she escalates the situation by like continuing to just like not break in any way. And and he's basically like, who are you talking to? You know, can you just talk to me? And I think if she would just talk to him, she could actually have delayed the events of the film a lot longer. Um, But it's, it's also because as he says, like, you can't stand me. But like, I mean, especially when you're playing the wife. Like it's one thing when you're like, even someone that works with Truman, where you're like, my acting job is, you know, every day I go to work and then I'm done. Opposed to being the wife and having to be lying your entire life. I think that makes sense for her to be, have the brittleness of like, I'm barely clinging on. A blessed life. (laughs) Is it? And how is it Hannah? Damn commercials all the time about this, like whatever. It peels, it cuts all in one. that's amazing (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i don't know i she's wonderful i feel like there's a lot of other people who i think would bring really uh like fun qualities to this my first thought was like great role for joan cusack get get some joan cusack Cusack up in here just I think it would hit all of her strengths. I, oh, one hundred percent agree. The full Debbie Jelinski blonde. Yes, 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 one hundred. And she would hit all the comedic notes, but also has the depth. I think this yeah. is a great junkie sec role. I then was also thinking about like who are people who look good in this kind of like mid-century kind of vibe, and I was like, ooh, like Anika Noni Rose mm. um, would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this came to mind 
purely because of the hours. But I was like, Julianne Moore and or Tony Collette. Julianne Moore <laughs> was like top of my list of someone that I can so see done up in this way. Yeah. And has, yeah, there's a certain, yeah, this just strident TV wife mm-hmm. fakeness, uh, plastic smile that yes. I could see. I think Julianne Moore would give a very similar performance to Laura yeah. Benny. And, and, and Tony Collette, so. obviously, also and, very, yeah. uh, like, the depth and the comedy and the the look, you know. Yeah. She looks good in every decade. I was like, if you wanted to be a bit meta in getting someone who's, like, extremely famous on TV in 1998, give me Lisa Kutrow. Oh, interesting. I think would be really interesting. Yeah. I would, I would really like. Or if this was made more today, give us Catherine Hahn. Give us it Catherine, was Catherine Hahn all, all along. along. Is, yeah, that's what we, I it want. It was Meryl all right. along. And I love that she's named Meryl because it's so <laughs> funny to name this actor Meryl. When like she is, she is, yes, exactly. In like the 90s, you're not naming a character Meryl who is also an actor unconsciously you're like right. what's a name that also we're gonna find funny like it's another actor joke but again a nuanced actor joke that they're not like hitting over the head but how can you not draw the line you know right uh so laura linney heavily studied sears catalogs from the 1950s <laughs> to course. develop her character's poise uh, and apparently the primary cast members lived inside seaside's actual picture perfect homes because this was like an actual town that they found to take sure. place of this uh place uh in florida i believe and so laura linney invited holland taylor who plays truman's mom to bunk with her Amazing. Said, and T- holland taylor said that's how we became very good friends and she and linney spent their time trying to figure out the mental tightrope of playing an actor maintaining a character in someone else's fake reality but it's love just like slumber parties between holland taylor and laura linney i'm obsessed <laughs> that's so, delightful and also like it's just so funny because like the the character of the wife is so close to the character of the mother-in-law and you know that it's like partially like supposed to be the like time period and all of that but it's like obviously like we're like yeah it's because that's her ally as like a colleague and also yeah. the other person that has perhaps the most influence in his life right it's the, those three it's the, the yes. wife the mother and the friend who every single time shows up at the six pack which the, is a great not, underrated underrated running gag. oh it's so funny it's like the beer appears around the corner before <laughs> his face it's just like hey buddy so funny at the end when they they, they think like i we don't think tr- we think Truman is like snuck out and it's like, in the yeah, Mar- Marlon, you got to go check on him. And he just shows up as like, hello, hey, buddy, let's party. I got a six pack. He comes flying out of, of that night. car, Middle six pack in hand. So funny. Party time. <laughs> come out, come out wherever you are. Oh, man. So one other actor that I found that was up for the role of Meryl Hope Davis. Oh, was interesting. In I can totally see that. Which I absolutely. Who I else? like it yeah. a lot. I like Laura Linney a little better for this, but Hope that should be great. You know. Oh, I agree. I agree. But I think Hope Davis would do exactly would be delightful. Yes. Uh, so those are all the characters that I found other casting options for. But there are a few characters we didn't mention, so I want to briefly touch on them. We just talked about it recently. But Holland Taylor is Truman's mother. Smaller delightful. role, but so good. Always crushing it. Yeah. Always crushing. And, and Noah Emmerich, I think, is that great as the as the friend. He's I, he wonderful. Is like you it makes so much sense you're like of course this is the guy that was cast to be the best friend to your truman character mm-hmm, of like mm-hmm. the buddy with the six pack that's like oh man you know i got away for a month and you know he's like what was it like out there oh, i was fine but no place like sea haven 
Well, no, because he no, he got away for a month when he was a kid. Because like he had the he got sick or something. Well, there's that, but he was. He also said but he's her, like he's traveled everywhere for work. Yes, he's like always comes back. Yeah. Well, no, not for work. He's he's a vending. He's a, a vending vending machine, machine uh, sales stalker. stalker. No, just stalker. It was something else that he left for like. There's some other time that he mentioned briefly that he left for like a month or two. I forget for why, but that he saw the world. And it's right. probably because that actor was like, hey, can I get a vacation? I've been working for 18 years Can I straight. go see my family that I only saw when I had the flu when I was a kid? And uh, I now. I know. It's that, what a success story of a child actor growing up to have a flourishing career. And to not, to look like he's not, you know, devolved into drugs or drink like he, he hasn't had doing, time oh he has not had time they are running him on a leash uh you got philip baker hall as the network executive harry shearer who i wouldn't have recognized except for no. the voice yeah. uh as mike michelson this tv so show stupid host. and baby paul giamatti as the control director he's so great and i i will also say that like re-watching it like this is the movie that like i first came to know who paul giamatti was of course i didn't know his name at the time i was like oh but for years i'd be like oh it's that guy from the truman show probably up until i don't know sideways which i know is like when he mm. really broke but i like you know i can't remember at i mean what that point. was the real like leading man yeah i don't remember at what point American i then splendor but no one saw it really i didn't I mean, see it saw, but many years people, later more people saw sideways yes but, uh, yeah but um I remembered it as being much more throughout the whole film, but partially because the film's so short, but also because he's so good in this, like for being just like an average Joe kind of guy working in this like control room. I think he makes such an impact. The whole thing is great, but really that moment where he won't adjust the weather dial anymore. Like right. what a beautiful performance, you know, where he's not even like, it's not fully, he's being shot from the side and we're still getting such like, emotion in his eyes which we can only sort of see it's like yeah. that guy good at acting that pg's got it <laughs> he's got the goods uh i for i saw this bef in my research before we watched the film and then forgot it as we watched it until i went back again and looked at the cast but did you clock young peter kraus Nope. In the movie? Nope. Six Feet Under and Sport Nights. Peter Krause and as, as Lawrence, who's the guy that works with Truman, the one that introduces like the new woman that they're trying oh, to like set up I with him. I totally recognized him and the whole time was like, who is this guy? Who and then didn't gentleman. think to look it up. That's why. Peter Krause. Wow. Uh, and finally, as the credited as keyboard artist, the guy on the keys yeah. is Philip Glass. No. That Christoph is like, bring up the key, bring up the music, bring up the music. Dude, dude, dude. Who wasn't the composer? Composer is this gentleman, Burkhard von Dahlowitz, who won the Golden Globe for best score, which I think the score of this film is incredible. It's and really also good. really helps sell that like whole ending. I think is why it's also so moving is I think yes. the score, when that score kicks in, um, but on the keys is Philip Glass. That's so funny being someone who's like work I'm so familiar with, but like now I'm realizing, no, what I don't the know guy what looks, looks like. like. No, of course not. I mean, there's so many of like musicians and, you know, authors and I'm like, I would never know what they look totally. like if I ran into them. But let's move on to final thoughts. Amy Joe, anything we haven't touched on or any actors that we haven't, uh, I want to give a special shout out to the actor who plays the bus driver in that scene where like, you know, he like grinds the gears until like the bus starts to smoke. And then they're like, we have a problem. Everybody off. Cause and Truman's trying to go to Chicago. He's right. trying to just get anywhere. anywhere. And so everyone silently like empties out and, and Truman is still sitting there. And the, the guy playing the bus driver just turns and goes, 
I'm sorry, son, or I'm sorry, kid. One of those things. Yeah. It is a heartbreaking delivery yeah. because it's also like, I, I think the fact that we know from the beginning, the whole world is a construct really helps us receive all these performances in a, in a, in, in the way in which they're intended, you know, the, the fact that there's no twist, I think really helps because we don't have to do retroactive like math or totally. scrambling around, but like something like that, where it's like everyone on set knows what's happening. Like a lot of them, like maybe watch the show if they're not there full time or whatever, but just to, to like, it felt like such a real human moment for this guy to just be like, I'm doing my job and my job is like ruining your life today. And like, just it, it's just such a beautiful moment. And he does it in one line. And then like at the end of the movie, it's like, I'm used to driving buses. Like he gets this great comedic line. Like I was just like, this guy's great. They really just cast it so well with like a whole roster of people who they have one line or are the like the guys who play the twins who are like always yeah. pushing him against the wall. Yeah. Uh, to frame him alongside whatever the, ad. Yeah. The ad, yeah. It's like it's cast so well top to bottom and so far as like the texture of everyone that they use they got really quality people there's no line reading that i'm like oh yo yo who what could they find no one you know (laughs) so special shout out to bus driver special shout out to bus driver guy who we don't know his name i'll look him up we'll look him up Later. later and listener you look him up too uh, so I'll end with this. According to a 2008 New York Times article, psychologists in Britain and the U.S. reported a number of people experiencing Truman Syndrome, the belief that they are the unwitting star of their own reality TV show. One psychiatrist shared that he had met five schizophrenic patients and heard of another dozen who believed their lives were reality television shows. One patient climbed the Statue of Liberty, believing that his high school girlfriend would be at the top, which was the key to him being able to leave the show. Wow. Which I wonder if this was still as it was originally supposed to be set in New York. Like, what would be that version of just getting? Is he just getting off, you know, running down the George Washington Bridge? Because that's like an island like this is easier to be like, it's hard to you have to like, yeah, harder to get off opposed to Manhattan Island, is he going to travel up the Statue of Liberty? I don't know. Wow, wow, wow. Wow, indeed. Amy Jo. Jeff. What are you recommending this week? It's not a podcast. Can you believe it? What, what? <laughs> I read a book, folks. <laughs> I used to do a lot more of that, but I get antsy oh, in the these. little engine that could. Pandemic times. Um, I'm recommending the book Mexican Gothic by Sylvia Moreno Garcia. Uh, I believe it's a New York Times bestseller. I read it in two sittings. It's so good. Um, it's a real page turner, and it's also just like beautifully evocative and spooky and weird and I don't know if you like gothic novels and things that are well written with like interesting characters and plotting and weird settings. I don't know. It's really cool. I really dug it. Read Mexican Gothic. Jeff. Amy Jo. What are you recommending? I'm also going to recommend a novel. Wow. This is the first time I've not recommended a movie or TV show. Uh, I don't recommend uh, the novel The Wanderers by Meg Howry. Uh, who's one of my favorite new writers that I've discovered in the past few years. Uh, read all of her stuff in a few uh, few months of, especially this and this book, The Crane's Dance, I think are incredibly gorgeous. But uh, this is a book about a trio of astronauts training for the first ever mission to Mars. 
it's she does an incredible job as a writer of like capturing the inner life of these characters as you're following like these astronauts preparing for a mission to mars and all might not be as it seems there's like weird which is why i'm recommending it i'm not saying it's a truman show twist folks but i'm just saying that there's some weirdness going on Mm. and uh it's not really about the weirdness but it's a fascinating color in this uh in in this story so i'd highly recommend you check out the wanderers by meg howry and that's what we're recommending this week do you have a movie that you'd love for us to break down the casting of email us at and almost starring at gmail.com and let us know and if you'd like to find out what we're doing for our next episode follow us on instagram and or facebook at and almost starring where we'll post the things along with a lot of silly photos (laughs) of the twos of us usually trying to recreate the posters of the film flawlessly flawlessly we must add (laughs) until next time i'm jeff ronan i'm amy joe jackson and in in case case i don't don't see see you good good afternoon. afternoon Good evening and good night!